as we were looking through this week's reading in Numbers, a number of things jumped out at me in the book of Numbers, and uh, I'm going to share those things with you. But I want to say by way of intro, you know, when we think about our, our world today, I want us to, to just reflect for a moment on how noisy it is with a lot of people rushing to speak their truth. A lot of voices considering themselves to be wise and quote unquote influencers around the world. Anyone apparently can be an influencer and, and the value that our culture puts on quote unquote your truth, speak your truth. Well, uh, is it truth? What is truth? And uh, we, we tend in our culture, we have filled with scoffers and mockers when it comes to God's word. That, that we live in this, in this time where there's been this inversion, where people who are unproven, unwise, boastful, braggarts, proud, sit in judgment of God's word and mock it and scoff it. And as we think about, I want us to think about the words that are coming out, pouring forth, the speech that is pouring forth across the earth right now, that is absolutely, it's abhorrent to God. And it, yet we live in a day of licentiousness, a day of lawlessness, a day where we give ourselves permission to say anything that comes in here. And comes out here and we we live in a day of, of the unbridled tongue and uh we're going to be held account jesus said for every idle word that we speak and where i'm why i'm saying that right now is because what was really standing out to me <clears throat> in this week's reading are key key lessons that new testament authors wanted us to draw upon as new covenant believers lessons that the, that the israelites learned the very hardest way possible of what not to do when you're walking with god and it behooves us to learn from other people's mistakes and i also want to say this you know there's some people when we look back on israel well, why didn't they do this and why didn't they see that and if we were there, we would do it. I would, I would just say, no, but by the grace of God, go I, go you. What Israel does in these chapters and numbers is what the flesh of all of us, all flesh, will go this way if it is not checked by the Spirit of God and submitted to his authority. And if we're not centered and focused and, and squared up on and building our lives on the truth. And so I just want to honor the word of God uh, as we come into this, because um, I think it's easy to forget because we swim in a toxic sea of words that don't honor God, do not honor his creation, um, self-important human beings that think they're very, very, very wise, yelling very, very loud, noisy things. And we got to remember God's voice when he came to Elijah in the cave, it was a still small whisper. The word of God is powerful. He says to Jeremiah, my word is like a hammer and a fire. The word of God breaks down strongholds, shatters, breaks open new ground. It burns up 
like a fire will burn down a forest so that new growth can come in. The word of the Lord performs all of his intended purpose. Our words fall to the ground often. Our speech dishonors, our speech mars. And that's really what I want to frame up. I'm going to read some, some scripture, actually, before we dive into numbers. By way of intro, I just want us to be thinking about um, the words in Hebrews and in James in particular as we begin to walk out some of the lessons that are, are there for us in this week's reading. And the first uh, verses I want to read are from Hebrews chapter 3, and uh, beginning in verse 12 through 19. The author says, Take heed, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort and encourage one another daily while it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end. While it said today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they heard, they did provoke and all with howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved for 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom he swore he should not let them enter into his rest, but it was them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of their unbelief. And so here we have the author of Hebrews. He is writing to Jewish believers who are departing the new covenant because they're facing persecution, trial, pressures of their current day's events. And they were going back under the Mosaic covenant. And this author is admonishing them to maintain the steadfastness of their faith as they walk out the living God. And here in this passage, the author is highlighting uh, what was really the costly sin in the, in the wilderness is, is unbelief. And we're going to study that, but there's a progression. I believe that the Lord was showing me in this week's reading um, that begins actually not with unbelief. Unbelief is a fruit that comes, but it begins in a much more, what would seem to be innocuous way. It begins with what we speak, the words that we say, the thoughts that we entertain, and then the words that come out of our mouth, the confession of our lips. The Bible says, the power of life and death is in the tongue, and in the tongue is the power to bless and to curse. And so I want to read a few verses in James uh, by way of reflecting on, on his thoughts on the tongue as we dig into what's going to happen here in Numbers. So he says, the tongue is a fire, a world of sin and iniquity. So is the tongue among our members. It defiles the whole body. And it sets on fire the whole course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell itself. Every kind of beasts, birds, serpents, and things in the sea can be tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless God and our Father and Creator, and with it we curse men which are made in his likeness. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursing. My brothers, this things ought not be so. Does a fountain send forth uh, sweet and bitter water? 
Can the fig tree, my brothers, bear olive tree, olives or can a vine figs? So can no fountain yield both salt water and fresh. And so as we begin to reflect, I want to just have those verses fresh in our mind. I know we're very familiar with some of those passages. Uh, but as we come into looking at the story of Israel, I want I want I believe the Lord wants us to put ourselves in that story and to learn the lessons that that he longed for Israel to learn. He longs for us to learn. He longs for us to walk with him. He says in Deuteronomy, uh, oh, that you would choose life. I set before you today before the children of Israel enter in the promised land. I'm setting before you life and I'm setting in death. And oh, that you would choose life. Remember, even going back to the Garden of Eden, there was the tree of life and there was a choice set before mankind. Are we going to obey God or are we going to insist upon our own way and our own understanding? You know, and the cross, the salvation, the gospel of the kingdom presents a choice for all mankind. And the Lord is is communicating in every way possible that that, oh, that we would choose life to choose his ways to walk with him and to um, submit to his ways. We, we will be uh, healthier, happier, more satisfied, more full of the life he desires to give us. Remember, Jesus said, I came that they would have life and life to the full. That's God's heart, that none should perish. And, and yet we're admonished to, when we look at the story, to remember that these are set forth as examples for us to learn from. And so with that being said, let's look, I'm going to begin our study in Numbers chapter 11. And this is, you know, just, I'm not going to read all the scriptures that we already read this week. I'm just going to touch on what's happening in these chapters so that you can see this progression that I believe is there. Uh, Numbers 11, the people begin to look back over their shoulders and, and are saying, man, I wish that we had garlic and fish and meat in like we had in Egypt. It was better. Better days were behind me. And they began to crave for the grass that, that's always greener on the other side of the fence. And so discontent with their current lot began to breed what is called grumbling. That's what the Bible says is they began to grumble against Moses. They began to grumble actually against God. Did you bring us out here to kill us? But I want to say something really important here, because I think we can read that word grumble and we can miss the intensity of that word in the English. We're not talking about grumbling where, you know, I had a bad I, I slept on the wrong side of the bed and got up and I'm a little bit grumpy and irritated. That's not that's not what the word means in the Hebrew. Uh, there's two kind of words that come together for grumbling. One is layan, and it means literally like growling, like, like a dog snarling at its owner and is, you know, getting ready to bite the hand that's feeding it. And so there's a, there's a deep-seated anger that's communicated in that, in that growl. And the other word is, is ragan, which is a whispered rebellion. And so you think about, you know, you're discontent and you're growling and you are, the words that are pouring forth are, are more than I'm just a little bit grumpy. There's an accusation at the very character of God, which is why he gets as angry as he does and people die uh, because he's done nothing but 
kindly demonstrate his power as a deliverer leading his people out and all the signs and all the wonders and his presence with them. You know, we've, we've looked at the tabernacle and how his presence is over. You can see his presence visibly. There's a cloud by day and a, and, and a cloud of fire by night. And so he is dwelling with his people. He's giving them laws, but there's this discontented anger. There's anxiety. Um, they are fretful and they are not thinking about it all at this point what God has done for them in the past. They're not meditating on his goodness. They're not saying, remember back in Egypt when I was getting lashed with a whip and I was having to make mud bricks and I, was, I would be killed if I didn't do everything that the Egyptians told me I had to do. They're not meditating on what God delivered them from or how he delivered them. They're not saying, man, remember when we plundered the Egyptians by the word of the Lord? And he gave us all of their plunder. And now we can look at that tabernacle that's with all the hammered, beaten gold instruments and the, the worshipful um, beauty of that uh, entire structure was made by the gold and the silver and the bronze that the Lord had us take from Egypt. We're not thinking about any of those things. We're, we're thinking about what we don't have. We're focused on what we want. And what we think we want, and we're focused on keeping up with the Joneses is what we say in the common tongue now, right? Somebody's got something that we don't have and we want it. And so we begin to covet those things in our thoughts. And then we begin to speak out these discontented words. And we just looked in the New Testament. It's really important that we remember that this tongue is full of deadly poison. And the Bible said it's set on fire by hell itself. That there's a, uh, the snowball gets rolling here with Israel's disobedience in the wilderness with ungodly thoughts that lead to coveting and discontent and result in words that are being spoken against God himself and against the leaders that God has called to lead his people. And so, you know, we, that's why I think coveting is, is one of the 10 commandments that the Lord gives his people. He knows our hearts. He knows our hearts are prone to lust after that which we don't have. And, you know, Paul, the apostle says, I've learned the secret of being content in abundance, and I've learned the secret of being content in lack. And that's, that's true spiritual maturity. When we are free from this world's lusts, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, you know, and, and we look at uh, what the scripture says, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. <laughs> the same major sin traps are still enslaving mankind today. Money, sex, and power. Things that we're, we think we want. It's, we're always grasping for the golden bobble, and it's never enough. We're, those things never slake the thirst of our lust in our hearts if we try to satisfy those longings that God has set in us apart from him. They're empty, broken cisterns. But if you notice the, the language, the words of these people begin out of ungratitude for what he has done, they begin to accuse him for what he hasn't done. It's almost like, God, what have you done for me lately? And we have to guard our hearts in a, in a godless age, when there's so much discontent everywhere around us, it's very easy, I believe, for the enemy to set snares for us. 
and I'm speaking to myself. I'm reminding myself, I've got to be really careful about what comes out of my mouth. You know, James says, you know, be quick to listen. He gave us two ears, slow to speak. He gave us one mouth. We should be twice as, as keen to listen before we speak. But again, we live in a day where we rush to speak before we even think in, in many, many, many times. Um, and so I want us to notice, you know, here, here it begins with this, this negative speech pattern, grumbling and complaining about what they don't have. God actually gives them what they're asking for. In fact, he gives them so much of it that they're going to be exhausted by, by what they're asking for. Um, he's going to flood them with quail, meat, but he's also going to destroy some because of, their, of this reality of their discontented attitude and grumbling. So there's a, there's a judgment that comes out upon the camp where some of them are killed. So what's the solution to grumbling and complaining? Um, I just want to offer a few thoughts. The Bible over and over again talks about thanksgiving. Enter into his courts with thanksgiving and praise. We, we can choose what comes out of our mouth. We can take every thought captive and, you know, we can go to God in prayer and in worship and being gratitude, having, having a, a spirit of gratitude of never forgetting what slavery to sin was like and what our destiny would be if he didn't deliver us from sin by the power of the cross and the blood of Jesus. Our eternal, our eternal destiny would be in hell if it wasn't for Jesus' blood and righteousness and mercy and grace. And we can easily lose sight of that because the day-to-day -day grind of life, and Jesus himself said, we're going to go through hard things. There's going to be trials. There'll be tribulations. Peter talks about fiery trials that come uh, from Satan. And so it all comes back down to perspective, and we get to choose what we meditate on in our minds, and we choose what comes out of our mouth. And so for grumbling and complaining, we, we've got to take off grumbling and complaining and put on praise and worship and gratitude and thanksgiving and and walk in this, that spirit of remembering what god has done for us and being and learning that secret that paul learned to be content in all seasons and circumstances and i'm not saying this is easy but i am saying it is it's simple the bible does lay it out um but most of the great things in life are are hard to master and to walk in in their fullness but I believe God wants us to learn that lesson. Be careful what comes out of your mouth, because what it leads to is in, that was in Numbers 11, but I, I mentioned that progression. When you go to Numbers 12, it starts off with Miriam and Aaron uh, are criticizing Moses, and they're comparing Moses to them. They Aren't we just as good as Moses, and doesn't God speak through us too? And they were criticizing him because he married a woman uh, Cushite, and that was the root of this, uh, this, these words that were coming forth of dishonor towards Moses. And it was, uh, well, let's just say that God didn't look at that very kindly. He calls them to the tent. He comes down in the cloud. Miriam is turned leprous. You know, we often talk about God as a healer, and he is, Jehovah Rapha. But we don't often enough, in my opinion, talk about the God who, he's a judge. The same God that will open eyes will blind eyes. He does it in scripture. The same God that opens ears will deafen ears. The same God that heals leprosy, in this case, 
And, it, and there's other cases in the Bible. He actually strikes with leprosy. And it's one of the sternest rebukes, in my opinion, in the whole Bible. Because he says, take Miriam and put her outside the camp. Because if a father spit in the face of his daughter, she'd have to sit outside the camp for a week. Ouch. That's a holy, righteous God who loves Miriam. But what was coming out of her mouth, this, this, this angry, competitive criticism of, you know, wrestling with who's, who's going to be greater and not being uh, content in her position led, led God to give one of the sternest rebukes in all of the scripture. And, you know, I just want to hold up the solution. You know, we live in this day and age where we'll criticize anyone. You know, think about the president for a second. It doesn't matter and we're speaking to Americans right now, but uh, you know, it doesn't matter what political party the president is in, it's full, full uh, open season to say anything you want about the, per- the man in, the, in that office, or if it'll be a woman, the woman in that office, carte blanche to just say whatever comes to your heart towards a leader. And I think the scripture is holding up for believers we must restrain our tongue and how we speak about those that God has called as a leader. And, and, you know, David really exemplifies this in his walking out with Saul. Saul was, you know, he was hunting David and wanting to kill David. And David said, I'm not, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed in an unrighteous manner. And this is the man after God's own heart. Um, and I think that's a model to us of, you know, there's no leader that's perfect. But we are being challenged and called to a very high standard of of speech and honor in the body of Christ. You know, Romans, I'll read a verse from Romans 12.10. There's a lot that I could pick from, but uh, this is Paul in in Romans 12.10. Be lovingly devoted to one another with brotherly love and honor and show preference to one another. So we've got to take off the critical spirit, the spirit that wants to compare Who's better between you and me? Who's, who's more anointed, you or me? Wait a minute, you're not so special after all. Isn't God with all of us? Who do you think you are, Moses? God wants us to take that speech off, those negative, critical words, and he wants us to put on words of honor, words of preference. How can I serve you? How can I help you? Let's, we're in this together. <laughs> How do we maintain that bond of peace and affection? Uh, and listen to what James says uh, in uh, James 5.9. He says, brethren, don't grumble against one another. There's that word again. Don't grumble against one another. And that's really what happened. And in Numbers 11, they're grumbling against God and Moses. Numbers 12, they're grumbling against Moses. And it's his family. You know, this is his brother and sister. And so the Lord comes down and deals with that situation. But as we progress from grumbling and complaining in in 12 to then a critical spirit in in Numbers 12, you go to Numbers 13 and it's it's grown into unbelief. And you have the story here of the 12 spies being sent out. And as the snowball rolls downhill, it it starts to marinate and grow into the heart realm. Speech and criticism and dishonor 
and these things that are being sown out in the camp result in uh, a lack of belief in the power of God. And so they go spend 40 days and 40 nights out and looking at the land. There's great fruit. They actually bring back samples of the fruit for everybody to look at. Look at the size of the, this is a land. Indeed, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. But where they, the 10, 10 spies uh, land on, there's giants in the land. These are the Nephilim, sons of Anak. They're, they're, they're huge. They're tall. They're mighty. They've got stone fortresses. We are, we're tiny. We're weak. And they were looking at themselves and they, what was going on, the negative thought pattern, the negative speech patterns had resulted in a negative impact on their faith in God who was with them. Again, they weren't looking at what God had done for them in the past. They didn't have confidence, except for Moses and Joshua and Caleb. They didn't have confidence in the signs and the wonders of the same God who split the Red Sea is going to be with us as we come into the land. And I love Joshua and Caleb in this, uh, in this story, even though, you know, everyone else has turned against them. Here you have the witness saying, God has given us the, the Canaanites as bread. He, he, had, he is removing their power from them, and he's opened them up to his power, and he's with us. We can go in and take this land because God is with us. Notice the difference in perspective. The, those that lacked faith were looking at what at who they were and how small they were and how inadequate they were. But notice Joshua and Caleb, the, the examples of faith. They're looking at how great God is and how powerful God is. And it's a perspective that um, that they're that they're clinging to. They're not they're not looking at their circumstances to tell them any information. They're remembering that us plus God is always a majority in any situation. And if God said he's going to give this to us, we can go and take it. And so we've come into a, a, the heart is beginning to harden in unbelief. But the last thing I want to mention about Joshua and Caleb here is I think there's a, and this is a little bit of an aside, but I think it's really cool. Uh, Caleb is called Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. And ultimately he's going to be given an inheritance among the tribe of Judah. And his father was a Gentile. And so I believe that, well, it's, my, it's what I believe, but I think there's, there's many uh, scholars that, that think this too. Um, can't prove it necessarily, but the Bible seems to lead that way that, that he would be considered a Gentile. And then you have Joshua uh, from the tribe of Ephraim. And here these two men are that are going to walk in and inherit their portion of the land that God promised to give them in the promised land. And I think, is this on Paul's mind when he is talking about this in Ephesians 2 that or I'm sorry, Ephesians 3, where Jews and Gentiles are joint heirs together, inheriting the promise together. And as Joshua and Caleb being held up to us as, a, as an early pattern of what comes to be known in the new covenant as the one new man, Jew and Gentile together, wholehearted men and women of faith saying, God is with us. There's more for us than against us. Look at Hebrews 11. Look at the hall of faith. We are go God is going to win in the end. We're not, look, we're not going to curse the darkness. We're going to light a candle. We're not worried about what the enemy's doing. You know, the book of Revelation is not the revelation of the Antichrist and, and world system Babylon. They're, they're part-time players in the, the play and the story that is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's all about him. It's about God. And, and negative speech patterns, negative thought patterns 
result in this capacity in our heart to believe and to have faith, it shrinks, begins to diminish. And we begin to look at circumstances. We begin to look at ourselves and our inadequacies. We, we begin to look at the enemy and what he's doing. He looks very fierce and we get intimidated and we back off from the promises and the and what God is calling us to do in that moment. And our pers- so our perspective gets, unfortunately, uh, negatively impacted if we're not watching what comes out of our mouth and what's coming into our minds and, and what's going on in our hearts. And so from Numbers 13, we go to Numbers 14. And the situation goes from bad to worse, unfortunately, uh, because the people are actually talking about stoning Moses and killing Joshua and Caleb. And so they're so, they, they've, they're, they're, the reality has become so distorted that they're going to eliminate anyone that has a counter, contrary opinion to themselves. It's, even though it's murder, they'd rather do away with the people of faith that are, are countering their narrative than to acknowledge that they, that they are terrified and that they are lacking faith and that they are sinning before a holy God. And so it's progressed uh, from despair has led to panic and fear. Fear has led to this uh, irrational anger towards Moses and Aaron and, or, and Joshua and Caleb and people who haven't done anything to them except try to intercede for them. Every time they get in trouble, they're falling on their faces. Oh, God, have mercy on these guys. Don't blot them out. Don't kill them. Take blot me out instead. That's, you know, and, and here Mo, they're going to stone Moses. And God comes down and says, I've had enough. That's it. It's gone into full-blown rebellion. So you have the progression of complaining and then a critical spirit, and then you progress into unbelief, and then you fall into full-blown rebellion. But the crazy thing is, is that there's a, there's a delusion that falls upon uh, out of the unbelieving heart. The delusion is that your narrative is right, that actually somehow you're seeing things rationally when you're the most, you have the most irrational perspective at that point. Um, and that's, that's a terrifying place to be. To be deceived is, you, you don't know that you're deceived when you're deceived. And, and what's coming out and the actions that they're willing to take are, not only are they, are they morally abhorrent and wrong, they're, they're just not rooted in any kind of truth or reality, but the mob is trying to um, kind of just go off the rails. And so the Lord comes in and says, okay, only Joshua, Caleb are going to go in to the promised land. Everyone else, this generation is going to die out. And I'm going to bring the children that you said were going to be bred for the Canaanites. I'm going to, I'm going to use your children that you spoke so negatively about and you were terrified about. I'm going to bring them in to the promise I was going to give you. And that's a hard lesson. And we're admonished again, I just call back to Hebrews chapter three that we read at the beginning of this message where the author is saying to believers, new covenant believers that were withering and struggling in maintaining the steadfastness of their faith and their endurance and perseverance saying, remember that story and do not be like the children of Israel in the wilderness who refused to enter into the the rest of God. Maintain your faith in, in Messiah. Remember he's with you in the boat. Remember that there's a fourth man in the fire. Don't lose heart. Stay strong in the word of God. Build yourself up in prayer and in fellowship and in breaking bread with believers. And so 
this story is so central to what God, where God has taken us because we, we're passing through, just like the children of Israel passing through the wilderness. We're sojourners. We're pilgrims passing through. And we can doubt God's provision. Oh, God, you know, where's, where's the next paycheck going to come? Um, this next crisis is going to come. And, and there's one crisis after another crisis after another crisis. And that can feel like you're being worn down into where you're, you despair. Or in the case of Joshua and Caleb or people of faith, it actually produces character. When we can look at the hardships that we face and we endure those hardships and we go to Christ with those hardships and we say, okay, I don't, I don't know how you're going to do it, Lord, but I know you're good. And I'm going to be a man or a woman of faith. And I'm going to declare your truth over me right now in my circumstances, because you're greater. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I'm going to hold on to you, Lord. And I know you're going to get me through this tough time. Even though I walk through the shallow shadow of the valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. You lead me beside the green, the green pastures and the quiet waters. You anoint my head with oil. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. That's faith. That's faith. It doesn't mean you never go through hard times. It means that when you do go through hard times, God is holding your hand and you're holding on to him. That's where the Lord is calling us to. And so we see that it comes into full-blown rebellion with the people, but we're not done yet, unfortunately. <laughs> we could Because in Numbers chapter 16, we have the story of Korah and Dathan and Abiram and On. It begins there and 250 elders that are again, it's almost like the sin of Miriam and Aaron when they were complaining and criticizing Moses has uh, impregnated these leaders, they've given ear to a critical spirit and something has birthed in their heart. And they're now saying, do you think you're better than us, Moses? Who do you think you are? Lording over like a prince. And so they begin to accuse Moses. And there's basically uh, a supernatural contest. Uh, Moses says, if these men die natural causes, God's not with me. But if if something happens supernatural and the ground opens up and these men disappear and the ground swallows them up, then you'll know that God is, is speaking and he's with me. And that's it. He, while the words are still in his mouth, the ground opens up and, and Korah and Dathan and, and Abiram and on and their families and their children and their tents are swallowed alive into Sheol. That's a, to me, that's just terrifying. That's a terrifying display of God's righteous power as a judge and it's it's a shocking story in the bible because he he delights in mercy mercy triumphs over judgment but there's times where god's judgment comes and it's it should shake us it, there's a there's an appropriate fear of the lord that we all should have and so i think these stories are there to remind us um to submit to him, to, to revere the God, the creator of heavens and earth. You know, Paul, Paul talks about the potter and the clay in Romans 9. He's, he's the potter and we're just the clay. Does the clay turn around to the potter and, and criticize the potters for making it the way that he made it? You know, he is the creator. We're the creation. He owns everything. We own nothing. We're just stewards. 
And when we get that inverted, when we have a, 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 an inflated sense of ourself, self-importance and pride that, well, you know, in, in, in uh, Korah and Dathan and Abiram and An's case, it's all about us. Who do you think you are, Moses? We want to have some of what you have. We're going to take it because we're, it's competitive. It's not, we're not in this together. It's divisive. And it's interesting that the people, after they watch that, it says the very next day after Korah and these guys get destroyed by the Lord, they actually, the very next day, they assemble again and grumble again against Moses and say, you, you're killing our people. I mean, it's like they're just missing the point. Mo Moses wasn't killing the people. God was showing himself as the leader of Israel, the king of Israel. The one who led them from Egypt, the one who has, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's with them. And yet their hearts have become so hard. And this is the, the final point I want to make tonight before we open it up for discussion in, in number 17. You have this final contest in this week's reading where it's these leaders and whose who's rod is going to bud in the tent. Who's the real leader that God's anointed? And you can just tell, I mean, the weariness in God's voice in these chapters. At one point, he says, you know, Israel has tested me 10 times. These 10 times they tested me. And man, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And he, they go, they go through this other test, Aaron's staff, buds. And yet the people say, you know, at the, at the end of it, like, their, their hearts are still hard, and they say, basically, woe is me. Chapter 17 ends, verse 12 and 13. Um, we're, we're, being, we're just being wiped out here. Uh, you're killing all our people. It's real, we're really suffering out here, Moses. And their hearts are so hard, they haven't even recognized. They're, they're unaware of their own rebellion and what that's resulting in, and the cost and the price of their own rebellion. They're unwilling to repent. Unwilling to repent. And that generation will end up dying in the wilderness, unfortunately. But I think the 10 times that, they're, that they've tested the Lord is a callback to Pharaoh's heart was hardened 10 times. Unfortunately, Israel hardened their hearts against the Lord in these 10 times, uh, in these chapters. And it resulted in complaining and grumbling and in a critical spirit which resulted in a a core of unbelief that diminished the perspective and inflated and distorted reality in ways that were dangerous for the children of israel and it ultimately led into rebellion and hard hearts that refused to repent before the living god and, and these are lessons this week that i think the lord wants us to reflect on and coming back full circle to what the the, the verses that I just sensed to share with us in the beginning was remembering the admonishment to watch the, watch the words that are coming out of our mouths. What we speak to our spouse, children, family, workers, uh, brothers and sisters in, in congregations that we're connected to, um, the president, uh, other leaders that are, are there serving. Are we, are we building one another up with our words? Are we tearing people down? Are you building yourself up in a 
healthy perspective of who God is? Or are you tearing yourself down with even negative thoughts about yourself and words that come out that tear you down? You know, you're made in the image of God yourself. You're a wonderful creation, a child of the living God. And he loves you. Uh, but you can tear yourself down. And I think we look at suicide and self-harm and cutting and, and people turn their anger and their shame and their guilt against their own bodies that are made in the image of God and they tear themselves down. So we just live in this age of godless speech where the word of the Lord is not feared. We've kicked prayer out of schools and, and the guns have come in. We kick God out of government and out of the halls of justice and injustice and lawlessness have come in. And so when we read these stories, I just believe the Lord wants us to put ourselves right there because we are, we're there again. You know, this isn't the, these same errors and these same traps and these same sins and the same rebellion is happening today. In fact, the judgments that God poured out on Egypt locally in one time and place, he's going to pour out globally at the end of the age, according to the book of Revelation. And so these are so important chapters for us to, I think, grapple with in our hearts and lay before the Lord and allow him to do some surgery on us. Um, and I've been thinking about these things all week. So I know it's an intense uh, topic to hit, but this is why we go through it is to to look at some of the things, how do we follow God well? And what are, what are ways that we need to break away from? What do we need to turn away from? Behaviors that we need to put off, behaviors that we need to put on, thoughts that we need to uh, submit and, and, and get chuck out of our thoughts and thoughts that we need to meditate on. And so for uh, conversation tonight, I want to just open up the, the room. God bless you all for listening. What are some strategies that you all can think about in terms of how can we help to tame our tongues in the age of, of godless speech? I'd love to hear some thoughts from folks. Um, and, you know, if you have other things that, that you want to share too, feel free, but that's just an opening question. Strategies. This is one thing that the Lord has shown me when I asked him, I need you to show me the ugly things and show me how to walk uh, by your Holy Spirit with my mouth and help me. And one strategy, because I get tested, you know, a marriage is such a good teacher of laying down one's life. Uh, your marriage is, is a big tester. And one thing that my husband and I, that I'm so grateful for is that we confess to one another we humble ourselves, we admit when we're wrong, and then we do better. We don't just talk, we do better. But one thing that I've learned is to pause, to pause before anything flies out of your mouth, pause. And I always picture that God is right there. I He watches everything we do. He hears everything we say. And that's what I think in my mind, he's right here watching me. If I let this fly out of my mouth, I'm going to grieve his heart. I don't want to do that and, and hurt the person. So 
that is the biggest lesson of my life that I've learned. And I'm so grateful for the Holy Spirit and just the pausing. And I also, when I'm in my prayer closet and I pray for each of us, this Bible study, I'm faithful to pray for each of us by name, and I'm going to add some new names. But I always try to ask God for his perspective. And there's been a lot of tears in my prayer closet because I'll say, I don't understand, but you do. So can you please show me your perspective? Because I don't want to sin in what I think about this person because you're seeing everything I'm not. And I don't want to grieve you. So anyway, that's the strategy for me is running to him, taking it to him, screaming, dad, you saw that help, uh, help guard my heart, guard my mind, guard my tongue, and then replacing those things with his word. Um, that's just what I'm dealing with right now. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jeb, for everything. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. Great, great stuff, Chantel. Thank you for sharing. I love that. Patience. You know, we live in the in the microwave society where everything's got to be right now. People shove microphone in your face. Let's get the sound bite. Rush to the microphone. And I love what Denzel Washington said a few years ago, like, because someone asked him, what, what's, what do you think is, is the truth in America right now? So he said, the truth, it's not no longer about the truth. It's about who can get to the microphone the fastest and shot at the loudest. And unfortunately, he's right. We love the hot take. And I, I love Chantel's wisdom there that the Lord gave her is the exact opposite. Be patient. You know, just pause and wait for a minute. Process. Talk to somebody about it. And you just walk out of the room if you're if you're losing your temper over something just take a take a walk and put your headphones in pop on a worship song and say jesus where are you in this situation and what spirit am i in you know take the log out of our own eye before we look to remove that speck in a brother or sisters but it's hard and that that cuts against the grain of our reactive flesh that wants to we get hurt we want to hurt back somebody slaps us we want to slap back it's just instinctual I was going to say exactly what you said. I remind myself that I can't take the speck out of someone else's eye because I have a log in my own. And the other thing is that when Jesus talks about it's not what goes in the body, it's what comes out. And I remind myself of that as well because uh, it is easy. It is easy because we're human to judge, but we also have to be reminded of what he says and focus on his words and be slow to speak. Thank you again for a great message, Jed. It's my pleasure, Mary. Thank you for your words there. Very, very thoughtful and, and wise. Um, I'll share that one thing that I have done from a strategy standpoint is when I have fallen short and I have done something like with my mouth, I've said something maybe I shouldn't have said or you know, just made comments I shouldn't have said or whatever it is that I've felt convicted about afterwards. Um, often in my past, you know, whenever those things have happened, um, I'll feel that conviction. And so I just have gotten in the habit of going to whomever was involved and repenting, whether they realize, you know, what a lot of times they won't even realize, you know, agree necessarily that I've done something wrong, but I'll share that I was convicted by what I said, and I want to apologize for saying it. I shouldn't have said it. Um, you know, I'm, tr I'm trying to do better because I feel like there's an opportunity there, one, to 
demonstrate humility, to confess and to share that's not who I want to be and, you know, should share a testimony of who I'm striving to be like. Um, and so in, in doing that, it's a reminder to myself, you know, because I don't want to do that. I don't want to, have, I just, and I also don't want to ruin my testimony, you know? So, but I think that when we do fall short, you know, because we are still in this flesh that, um, you know, we, that, that those are the ways that I think we can strive to do better, you know, and to be an example and to not um, let someone else um, stumble because of our shortcomings. Amen. It's awesome. Love that. For me, I, I, I'm, I'm going to just echo what um, 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 Sister uh, 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 Chantel said um, was just to pause. And sometimes I know that every time I am angry, nine times out of 10, the right thing does not come out of my mouth. And so as you said, just to take the time to pause and, and get the anger level down. Because oftentimes when we're angry, we don't reason rationally. Um, everything that comes out of your mouth uh, is from a place of anger, not of love. And I'm reminded what Jesus said about uh, the, 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 the heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So um, we can also use that to really, after the action, we do an after action assessment to see where our heart is after we really uh, re recap everything that we have said, uh, after everything is said and done, to, to kind of gauge the condition of your heart, you know, and see whether it's right with God. All the things that came out uh, can really, you know, be a, a, a measuring, a, a way to measure where you are with, it, with, with God and, and, you know, um, kind of to help you uh, to really humble yourself before God and acknowledge who you truly are and, and where you are spiritually. So um, I think one of those, those are some of the side, uh, um, uh, um, uh, some of the things you can, you can gain from that, the knowledge you can gain from, from, from your interactions with your wife as to, you know, whether or not you are in the right place spiritually versus the wrong place, wrong place spiritually. So um, yeah, it, it'll show you the condition of your heart. So to be careful to just know where you are with the Lord. You really kind of um, voiced what I was thinking, and I didn't really know how to put it. And so, using scripture to to make it plain uh, is is helpful. Like out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I, ever since Jed started talking tonight, I've been having um, kind of a a chicken versus the egg debate in my mind. Like, okay, is it what's in the heart that then we speak, or is it does it start with what we speak and then that becomes what our heart is right and and um it it made me think a little bit about romans 10 9 and 10 about salvation and that relationship between heart and mouth you know you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth like god is saying there's a clear relationship between heart and tongue um and so I, I, I've appreciated the, uh, the, the mental exercise tonight, Jed, that you've, you've had me do. Uh, but then also, I think one of the strategies I try to use, and this is probably the most effective strategy, everyone has been so far talking about taking the pause. I do try to take a pause, but 
sometimes the pause doesn't work. Um, and, you know, I, I live in D.C., and so criticism is like oxygen. It's like, it's just how we live. Um, but I, I say this to my kids, usually when I think someone's not being truthful, I'll say, okay, are you sure that's your answer? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Dad, yeah. Okay, now, pretend that Jesus is sitting right next to me. He's right here. Pretend he's sitting right there. Does your answer change? Well, there have been plenty of times the answer then changes. Uh, but I, I, I sometimes try to do that with myself in terms of what am I getting ready to say? Let me assume that Jesus is right there beside me. In fact, he is, right? But that mental picture of him sitting right there in the same room does help me change my behavior. I still fail at times because I also look over there and see mercy. Um, but, you know, I, I think if we, if we pause, it's one thing, but, you know, as we pause, if we consider the reality that he's sitting right there, it does kind of help with the tongue. So thanks, Jed, for, for tonight. That was awesome. You know, the strategy for me was God revealing to me that my ability to do what I was doing was not my nature and my birthright. And how I mean that is, see, I was a individual that I would tell people, and I won't say, cause you know, people say, well, I'll tell you a thing or two. No, I used to tell you a thing or three, amen. And would go for the juggler. And part of that was because, you know, and I love my father and I say this with all honor, with all honor and respect. Uh, you know, my dad didn't put up with foolishness. He did not. And so I used to say, oh, I'm just like my daddy. <laughs> I put up with foolishness. Foolishness came out. I'm going to have to respond to that. And so what God had to show me was that that was not part of my birthright. He did. He had a different perspective and a different plan. So for me, the first thing was I had to learn to think differently. And I'm not, I have not all, uh, I have not arrived. So please don't hear that, but I'm better than before. I, I had to begin to think differently and begin to say, okay, you know, um, think, think. And I even had to tell myself, fix my face. Cause see, it wasn't what was coming out of my mouth. You knew immediately cause my face would start looking at you like you're crazy too. I'm just saying so I had to begin to change the way that I think, and I begin to change my thought process. And even slowing down, when they were saying pausing, I was saying the pause was when I would be saying, Sylvia, fix your face. Fix your face, because your face is speaking before your lips get engaged. I'm just saying. So I had to go through that God really changing me. And for me, I think part of this too is learning to humble, allowing myself to be humble before God and before man and understanding that that's not God's way. He said, be slow to anger and quick to forgive. So learning to slow down, I'm telling you, I was a firecracker. I'll get mad in a hot minute. And I'm going to tell you a thing of three, you know, uh, hurt you before you hurt me. Uh, amen. Uh, and so really learning to, again, change the way that I think and the way that I process that 
and knowing that, you know, again, there is a time and a place when you should speak and when you should not. But then the other thing I want to say is, but I also think that we as believers really need to assess in our response in because we are learning to be patient and be quiet. But at the same time, our God is being mocked. And so for me, it is, I want to be able to address when you mess with my Jesus, but it's okay if you mess with me. Man, I just want to say really quickly, I think uh, we have Craig has his hand up, but I want to mention Arnetta put something in the chat that goes along with what Pastor Sylvia was just saying. Arnetta said to practice seeking the Holy Spirit before commenting. And I think that's the key to having the transformed mind, you know, is that we've got to actually be in this word so that it is actually doing the work in us because we actually don't have the ability to change the way we think. We can't do that ourselves. We have to do That's why Jesus said, you can do nothing apart from me, you know, but it's him you know, speaking to us through his word and meditating upon those things that does that work in our heart to, to allow and enable us to be transformed. And so it's that mm. process. So good, Krista. And, and Brother Craig, I'm going to get you one second, bro. I just want to say one thing that for the sake of conversation, we're talking about speech coming out of our mouth, but I also want to shine some light on, on the written word. You know, uh, we got to be careful what we put on Facebook and socials um there's this anonymity that comes in where someone's behind a computer screen and they will never say to a person's face what they put on a facebook post and there's a disconnect you know we're made in the image of god so when you're sitting with someone just and you're looking at them in their eyes there's a human to human contact that we're losing in our society and I think we just need, as Christians, I just remember watching the last two, two to three years, it's gotten so bad, um, where people are having, trying to have a civil discourse or conversation on Facebook, and you guys know what I'm talking about. It just goes, like, it's off the rails, and whoa, you're, the things that are, are being said here, it's like, well, it's okay, because it's just digital, and it's cyberspace, and these words don't matter, and, and it's like, actually, these words really, really, really do matter. What we write. We, and, and we need to infuse the written word with as much humanity as we infuse with the spoken word. But uh, just a small point there. Uh, Craig Bass Jr., my brother. It's good to see you on the call, man. Welcome. Yes, yeah, it's, it's good to be here. And I wanted to, to jump on to, to say hello. I, I didn't have, I'm on spring break, so I didn't have class tonight. So I saw the text message come from Pastor Bernie. And I couldn't pass up the opportunity. So God bless everyone on this call. And thank you so much for, for hosting because it was spot on. It was, it was exactly what I needed to hear tonight. It was just, just some, some things in my own heart and in my own life that I needed to, to get a good checkup by the Lord. And this was a great call to, to, to get some, some of my, my thinking correct and as far as strategies, I think everyone has shared some, something valuable that I would definitely apply to my own life, uh, but something that I could share with people on the call today that has been helpful for me is asking the question, what are you, what are you believing right now? Uh, I'm sure you all have, can relate to um, 
sometimes waking up, it can be a random morning, you know, it's a Tuesday. Monday, you woke up just fine. You were just jolly and happy. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. But Tuesday, there was just something about Tuesday where you were just, you woke up aggravated. You just woke up annoyed. And sometimes that happens to me. I'm like, I don't know what is going on, but I ask myself, what do you, what do you believe in right now, Craig? What do you, what do you believe right now? What is, what is causing you to be irritated or annoyed or frustrated and to have this disposition that is unlike Christ? What are you believing in your heart about God, about life, about yourself? And when I do that, that analysis of, you know, what am I believing in the moment? It helps me identify um, things that are driving my bad attitude. And then I can do my best to try to course correct with the Holy Spirit. So that's mm. one strategy that I, that, I, that I have in my own life. But God bless you all. Thank you so much for, 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 for allowing me to join. Oh, thank you, Craig. Great, great to hear your perspective, bro. Terrence, uh, I know you got your hand up, man. Come on in. And this is one of the things that I've been, you know, trying to teach my children, my, you know, convey in my household that we go to social media and we consume so much information. And whatever yeah. you even endorse comes from you because you're agreeing to that message that another person posted there. And so we, as Christians, we really need to be careful what we are endorsing or putting out there to the world. We will be judged by how that information affected somebody. And I just wanted to share that. Thank you so much, Pastor Dan. Well, and Terrence, no, I think, yeah, so I think good. that goes along with what um, Pastor Jed shared earlier, the verse that says that we're going to give an account for every idle word spoken, you know, because those idle words, those things that are just put out there on social media, you know, just flippantly in response to something, they actually do affect people. Our words affect someone, they influence and, you know, it, it affects even our testimony. So I think yeah. that all is very coincides, you know, uh, with the scripture to reveal to us. It's absolutely true. So good. And, um, you know, one, I have want to share one thing here. I forgot to mention earlier, just as a strategy, we're talking about strategies for, you know, watching what comes out of our mouth, but also to be on guard. How do you lovingly discern when someone else is, is bringing some negativity or gossip your way? And there's a filter I want to read. This is actually from Socrates, um, <laughs> but I think it agrees with scripture. You can judge for yourself, but, but Socrates as a philosopher was talking about gossip and negativity. He was actually vehemently opposed to gossip and was sensitive to it as a teacher. And, and so his, his way of discerning was, is the info that you're bringing to me, is this true? Has it been confirmed? And you, you can think about Facebook posts where it's like someone posts an article and it's like immediately someone's like, no, that's been snoped out. That's 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 false. You know, and, and we, we, we see an article and we rush and we post it. We haven't even confirmed whether the information is even true. So that's, that's the first point. The second point is, is this information kind? Is it good? And does it build up the other person that you're talking to me about? I think those are really important thoughts for us as we consider our work we're called to build one another up in our faith and you know we're basically are we putting a brick into somebody's uh house so to speak or are we taking a brick out of a house 
building up, building one another up with our words. And then the third filter was, is this information useful? Does it, does it matter? And does it bring positive utility and outcome to the situation? So gossip is neither is often neither true, kind, or useful. And so he would just say, why, why then are you wanting to tell me information that's neither true, kind, or have any positive utility in my life? You're, you're literally, these are all words that, that literally have no positive impact or outcome or result from sharing it. And so I, I felt that was really helpful to me in, in terms of identifying gossip and negativity and toxicity and a way to kind of process that. And, you know, as we walk with other people, I think in a, in a loving way, we can even help process that with them and say, hey, let's, you're wanting to talk about person A here, or person X, let's, you know, is this even true? Are you sure that what you're telling me is even the tr truth has been confirmed and walk them through this filter? And so, Lord Jesus, we just are in your presence. We thank you for your word. And Lord, I j just confess my own sins in these areas, Lord, where I've gossiped or spoken negatively or spoken in anger or given way to bitterness or jealousy or envy or uh, any negative speech pattern. Um, I just confess it as sin. And your word says that you're faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess our sin. And so as we've all been meditating tonight about the power of the tongue and uh, it's full of deadly poison and it can set the world on fire. We're watching the fire of the, the, the power of, of, of wicked tongues literally burning the world alive. Everywhere we look, we see that fire, we see the poison, we see the toxicity. And as we're brothers and sisters, we just welcome you into our experience, Lord, as we reflect and go from this place tonight. Um, as we receive the broken body, your broken body that was broken for us for these very sins. Um, and the, the blood that was poured out to forgive and to, to extend mercy for these very sins that we're talking about. We, we give you honor. We give you thanksgiving. We are grateful for your sacrifice. Um, we are not, there is no righteous thing in any of us. Our righteousness is in Christ Jesus. It's in your righteousness. And so we just pray the blood of Jesus over our minds and our hearts, our tongues, our eyes, our ears. Lord, and as uh, Bernie was saying earlier, there's this connection between our heart and our mouth. And our mouth and our heart. And we just give you our hearts. And we give you our mouths tonight. Lord, that you would cleanse and heal and restore. And I thank you that though our sins could be as scarlet, you can, by the blood of Jesus, bring them to be white as the pure snow. That we would have a fresh shower tonight to be cleaned and the, the filters of our mind could be renewed and the, the words and the meditations of our heart could be refreshed and set upon uh, the beauty of Jesus, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. We recognize that you are the, the way, the truth, and the life. And we are hidden in you. That we're seated with you in the heavenly places. 
so we thank you for, for this inheritance that you've extended to us and invited us as partakers and that our faith would be emboldened and strengthened in this time that wherever we are, as Sylvia was saying, that we could speak uh, about Jesus without any fear of what might be said about us, but that we could be bold like Joshua and Caleb, men who saw the promise and knew that, that they were with you and you were with them. And that no matter what was in the land, if you said it, it would happen because you are who you are and your word always proves true and you never are unfaithful. And so we just thank you for your presence tonight. Thank you for each person and everyone, uh, families represented here. Pray your grace, blessings, and mercy over everyone. And as we uh, go ahead and just take your element, um, this is uh, the body of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of the living God whose body was broken for you and for me and, and broken for everyone on planet earth, regardless of race or tribe or tongue. He desires that none perish, but that all would have everlasting life. We thank you for your heart of love for the world that you gave your only begotten son, that whosoever would believe would, would have eternal life. And we thank you for that free gift that is available through Christ Jesus. Thank you for your body, Lord, in Jesus' name. And the night he was betrayed, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood which is poured out for you for the remission of sins. And Lord, you brought us into the new covenant, the everlasting covenant, where you write your law on our hearts. We have a heart, take out a heart of stone Put in the heart of flesh, Lord. Tonight we've read about the heart of stone that, that was in the children of Israel, Lord, when they went into unbelief and a lack of faith, and that led into rebellion. And I thank you tonight for hearts of flesh that are soft, hearts of flesh that are responsive, hearts of flesh that are desiring, Lord, to serve you and to love you and to abide in your in the vine and, and in your love. And so we just thank you for your presence and your word, that your word would remain in us, that we'd remain in your word, that your love would remain in us, that we would never stray from your love. We thank you for your blood that accomplishes all these things forever. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.